Welcome to the Cove's audio articles, where you can listen to some of the Cove's best articles rather than reading them. This article is entitled Reflecting on Part-Time Subunit Command by Major Aaron P. Jackson. When Major Jackson found out that he was being posted as officer commanding of an Australian Army Reserve Infantry Company at the start of last year, Part of his preparation involved searching for as many publications as he could find about the experiences of others in the same appointment. Where possible, Major Jackson wanted to learn from those who had come before him, rather than at the cost of making his own mistakes. Although he found some publications that discuss command in full-time subunits or in allied part-time subunits, Major Jackson found nothing specifically discussing part-time subunit command in the Australian Army Reserve. He is therefore hoping that this article will help to fill this gap for future part-time subunit commanders in the Australian Army Reserve who are seeking to learn from others who have come before them. This article contains a list of observations that Major Jackson has recorded from time to time during the first 18 months of his subunit command posting. Some observations regard things that he found worked. Others regard things that he found did not. Preparation. Before taking command. Read. Major Jackson found as many publications to read as he could about subunit command. As mentioned earlier, what he found was written to address a full-time or allied context, and for everything he read, he therefore had to ask himself, which parts of this are likely to apply to my subunit and me? Once he had satisfied himself with the answer to this question, he was able to get some good learning points from several publications. Major Jackson has kept copies of, and still adds to, and occasionally revisits, the list of publications that he found useful. To kickstart your own reading, a list of links to the online papers that Major Jackson has found most useful can be found at the end of the printed version of this article on The Cove. The 2011 OC's Handbook, published by the Army Lessons, is also a very useful resource. AKC's Army Lessons Command Handbooks page is available on the DPN. Seek guidance from past officers commanding and commanding officers that you respect. During Major Jackson's career, he has been fortunate to have served under some very good officers commanding and commanding officers. In addition to contemplating what it was he thought made them good, which you might want to emulate, Major Jackson contacted several of them to directly seek their guidance. He then put their replies to his emails into a folder that he could revisit as required. He found this guidance was more useful to him than any of the guidance he found in the articles he read, because it was more immediately applicable to the requirements of his own posting in a part-time Australian Army Reserve subunit. This course of action is therefore something Major Jackson strongly recommends to anyone before they post into subunit command. Several of the useful points of guidance that he received are echoed in the points noted in this article, and it behoves him to thank those who set him up for success by taking the time to provide him with their good advice. Make as much time for handover as possible, and get things in writing. Major Jackson was fortunate to get a well-prepared handover brief from his predecessor, 
as well as being able to visit the unit he was posting into on three occasions over a two-month period before his posting started. He considers this to be one of the advantages the Army Reserve has. Reserve personnel are usually posted to other units in their home city, rather than moving interstate as regular Army personnel often do between postings. This same city advantage enables a face-to-face handover to occur early. Pursue this opportunity if you get it. A few visits to his new unit were much more beneficial to him than any number of emails and phone calls would have been. On their own initiative, Major Jackson's predecessor gave him a comprehensive PowerPoint brief in addition to introducing him to personnel within the unit and showing him around. He didn't realise how useful this would be at the time they gave him a copy of the brief, but he found out the value of that slide deck during his first year of command when certain issues re-emerged several months after having seemingly disappeared. Being able to revisit the information contained in the handover slides was sometimes suddenly and unexpectedly useful, and his access to this depth of information would not have been possible if he had simply been taking notes during a verbal briefing or a meeting. Major Jackson, therefore, recommends to any incoming officer commanding that they actively seek a written handover brief if one is not readily offered to them. Stepping up. The first few months. It begins with a drink from the fire hose. No matter how good the handover, Major Jackson had a good one. The first few weeks will still feel like trying to drink from the proverbial fire hose. No matter how well prepared you are, there is a big difference between reading about it, or being briefed about it, and living it. Major Jackson found the best way to get through the first month or so was to be honest with his command team about what he thought he knew and did not know, and to ask them to fill in the blanks for him as they went. The members of the command team who were posted to the unit the previous year understood, assisted him, and were especially useful in highlighting to him what they didn't yet know. They also gave him the benefit of the doubt a few times when he needed something that seemed simple in hindsight, to be explained to him like he was a fifth grader. Major Jackson's peers were also very supportive in similar ways during this period. Plus, they gave him a different perspective to that of his subunit command team members by virtue of their different rank, roles and experiences. Throughout his time as a subunit commander to date, picking up the phone and calling one of the other subunit commanders, or in the case of those located on the same base, going for a personal chat, has usually been quite informative and well worth the time. But this has never been more important or more useful than it was during his first month or so in command. It helped Major Jackson not to have an agenda before he began his posting. There's a school of thought that says that an incoming commander ought to have some idea of what they want their organisation to achieve, and they should work towards achieving this from day one. Major Jackson could not disagree more strongly. From the outset, he intentionally did not have a goal beyond succeed, and it took him at least a few months to figure out what that even meant. He took the time after his posting began to gauge the units and subunits' existing culture, figure out which aspects he wanted to maintain and which to change and how to do this, determine what his commanding officer and subordinates needed and expected from him, and how to achieve it. 
figure out the nature of the key personalities and relationships and the best approach to working within the unit, and then finally, to develop a vision and command style that was able to meet to the greatest possible extent all of the sometimes competing requirements placed upon the subunit. Taking this time resulted in a period during which it appeared to some that Major Jackson was being reactive rather than proactive, and perhaps even that he had a weak command presence. This perception was primarily the case outside of his subunit, and he had not anticipated it. Fortunately, he received feedback about these perceptions in time to be able to act to change them before developing a poor reputation that may have stuck. The lesson Major Jackson took from this is the need to better manage expectations from the outset, when, or if, he next posts into a command appointment. Looking back, he considers the short-term reputational sacrifice to have been worthwhile, but it was nevertheless a risk he could have done more to mitigate against. This notwithstanding, not initially having an agenda, allowed Major Jackson to develop a comprehensive situational understanding before making his mind up about what issues to tackle and how. As a result, acting was much easier and smoother when he finally did set the agenda for what to achieve during the year. This approach arguably prevented him from having to make as many post-H-hour adjustments as would have been the case if he had set an agenda immediately upon commencement of his posting. The utility of a command philosophy at subunit level is contextual. Developing a command philosophy is primarily the remit of a unit commanding officer. However, the concept is taught at the all-core majors course, at least it was when Major Jackson did this course, and it can be useful within a subunit on some occasions. An officer commanding Major Jackson previously worked for had promulgated a command philosophy that had helped their subunit to work as a team towards common goals, and some of the advice he received indicated that this had been the case for other officers commanding as well. Major Jackson developed his own command philosophy as part of his preparation for the posting, and at the first training activity he attended as officer commanding, he spoke to the subunit to explain it. It was 1. Add capability 2. Be ethical 3. Be brilliant at the basics 4. Keep learning This was a useful way to explain his initial expectations to the soldiers in the subunit. However, he subsequently learned, later on the same day, that the commanding officer not only had their own command philosophy but they tended to refer to it frequently in their interactions with unit members. Major Jackson realised then what he should have earlier, that his own previous officer commanding, who had effectively implemented a command philosophy, did so with a subunit that was physically dislocated from the rest of the unit, and in a unit wherein the commanding officer had not promulgated their own command philosophy. In that context... A subunit command philosophy was a good way to provide unity of purpose and direction to company members. In the context of his own subunit, however, it was better that he got behind the commanding officer's command philosophy rather than potentially causing confusion by making his soldiers have to remember yet another list of points. Major Jackson has not mentioned his command philosophy to his soldiers again, and he now realises that the utility of this concept at subunit level is dependent on the broader context within the unit.
Developing his own command philosophy was not a waste of time, and Major Jackson continues to use it to check his performance against the kind of commander he wants to be. He will ask himself whether he is living up to his own expectations as contained in his command philosophy. He periodically revisits this question, and his command philosophy has accordingly become useful to his internal reflections upon his own conduct. To this end, he has added three additional points to the philosophy, which he finds are useful reminders for him. 5. Revel in your time. 6. Remember that anyone, including you, can be replaced at any time. 7. You are only as good as the last thing you did. There is noticeably much less direct contact with soldiers. Once appointed officer commanding, Major Jackson noticed almost immediately that his direct contact with soldiers at the rank of corporal and below was significantly less than it previously had been. This is even the case relative to his time as a company second-in-command. This situation is the result of the officer commanding being the only position in the company that has at least one layer in the formal chain of command between it and everyone in the company below the rank of warrant officer. By itself, this situation is neither an advantage nor a disadvantage. Which it will be depends on how it is managed. In Major Jackson's own case, he has tried to offset the lack of formal direct contact by ensuring that he is informally accessible as often as possible to his junior personnel, while at the same time balancing this against the need to avoid undermining the formal authority of his subordinate commanders. He does this by attending the unit all-ranks mess whenever it is open after a Tuesday parade night. In his unit, this is about once a month and when he's not in a rush, by stopping in corridors to chat with soldiers for a few minutes instead of just exchanging pleasantries as they pass one another. This informal interaction has been a good way for Major Jackson to build rapport with junior members of the company and to allow them to voice their opinions and concerns directly to him without undermining the formal chain of command. So far, this approach to creating opportunities for informal engagement appears to be working to his advantage. It takes time to get used to command again. Before commencing his posting as officer commanding, the last time that Major Jackson had been in a command appointment was as a platoon commander in 2012. The last time that he worked in an Army Reserve subunit was as a second in command in 2015. Since then, he has served in instructional and staff postings, Although these gave him a great deal of exposure to the bigger picture outside of a subunit, he had unknowingly changed his personal style to suit the context of either instructing or working on a team with other staff officers. Both roles require a different approach than commanding does and it took him a few months to warm back up to commanding. Specifically, Major Jackson noticed that when in command, one must be more cautious when voicing ideas. He prefers planning collaboratively whenever possible. Some of his subordinates, the lieutenants in particular, were not used to this approach. As a result, some ideas that he discussed with them to seek feedback were taken to be instructions and implemented while he was still yet to decide upon a preferred course of action. The lesson he learned from this is to combine a little more restraint in what he chooses to discuss with stating clearly up front whether he was seeking to discuss an idea or was giving an instruction. 
Accordingly, after an initial period of getting used to working with each other, he changed his approach and this issue was resolved. Steady State Observations About Day-to-Day Activities The constant dual up-and-down tension inherent in middle management is strong at officer commanding level. As an officer commanding, Major Jackson has much less freedom of action than he thought that he would. Before he posted in, he thought that once his initial period of developing a thorough situational understanding was over, he would be able to develop and execute a comprehensive subunit training program based on the strengths and weaknesses of his personnel. Instead, what he has found was that most of his time was spent either being an O4-level signature block for the vast volume of paperwork that travels from his subordinates up the chain of command to battalion headquarters and beyond, or ensuring that his company met the training and administrative requirements set by battalion or higher-level headquarters. Even with the support of a dedicated and proactive second-in-command, company sergeant major and training warrant officer, these two things take up at least 80% of Major Jackson's parade time. Tuesday parade nights are usually purely reactionary. There are often meetings that he needed to attend to during the parade night, and it can take more than three hours just for him to action the emails he received each week. This is not simply a matter of poor time management on his part either. Most of the emails that he received are very important to someone. A private nominating to attend a promotion course, the commanding officer directing him to meet a new mandatory training requirement that they are accountable for implementing, or anything in between. The tongue-in-cheek saying Major Jackson heard on occasion that the Army Reserve is a part-time army with a full-time admin load did not come about for nothing. The best he can usually do is prioritise the correspondence by its urgency. There is no practical way to ignore any of this correspondence without potentially significant adverse consequences for someone. Regarding the subunit training program, the requirement to train personnel in preparation for unit-level training activities has greatly limited Major Jackson's own freedom to set the direction of the program. Mandatory training requirements, which seem to grow each year, have been an additional limitation to his own freedom of action to determine how to use his company's training time. The lesson here is that one needs to become good at accurately anticipating what the future requirements from higher levels will be, and then shape the subunit training program considering this anticipation. Major Jackson has achieved this largely by referring to the unit training program and in the readying year, the Battle Group Jacker exercise schedule, several months in advance, and assessing what lead-up training is likely to be needed for scheduled activities. This has been accompanied by the need to be vigilant in adjusting his subunit's training program, as higher plans are themselves adjusted. The art of subunit command in this area is therefore aligning his own execution as closely as possible to a higher commander's intent, It is not in setting the intent itself, which was his initial incorrect expectation. Find time to be proactive outside of Tuesday parade nights. As elaborated earlier, it is difficult for Major Jackson to do anything on a Tuesday parade night beyond attending meetings and reacting to incoming correspondence. As a result, his advice is to plan deliberately to be reactionary on Tuesday parade nights. This generates another need, 
which is to plan time outside of parade nights to be proactive in managing the subunit. Major Jackson did not achieve this until the second half of his first year in command, and he did it by taking a week off of his civilian job on Army Reserve leave for a period of about three months. This gave him a chance to be proactive in shaping the subunit's activities. During this period, he was able to realign the subunit training program in anticipation of hire's intent, check up on platoon commander notebooks and get to know his subordinates better, and in a team with key subunit staff, complete the planning for more detailed subunit activities, including training weekends. It is always hard for reservists to make this additional time to be proactive, but it is nevertheless vital if one is to be anything other than reactionary. For Major Jackson, an annual cycle seems to be feasible, but constant additional time off from work does not. After the three months of which he was able to take an additional day a week off of work for Army, there was another six months wherein he was not able to do this. The result was that he again became reactionary during this period. This on-again, off-again approach is better than nothing, but is certainly not ideal. For him, the compromise has been necessary to achieve a feasible work-life army balance. He has had to use his proactive periods to set things up for the times when he again needs to focus on his civilian work and vice versa. Regardless of how each army reserve subunit commander is able to achieve it, the situation will be different for everyone. Finding time outside of Tuesday parade nights to be proactive is vital to success. Regularly use non-monetary incentives to reward. In the Australian Military Honours and Awards system, medals for conspicuous conduct are relatively rare, as are commendations, which take the form of badges that are worn on the right-hand side of the ceremonial uniform. Commendations need to be approved by an officer with the minimum rank of Major General or equivalent. As a result, most high-performing personnel go through their careers without ever receiving these forms of recognition. Over the years, Major Jackson has seen many soldiers and junior officers perform above the required standard, though not so far above as to warrant a commendation signed off by a two-star. Battalion and company-level awards such as trophies or plaques presented to the best-performing soldier, non-commissioned officer or officer each year go only part of the way towards giving as much public recognition as he would like to see given. When appointed officer commanding, Major Jackson considered what he could do at his level to help increase the recognition his personnel receive. The answer was a US-inspired practice, the challenge coin. Midway through his first year as officer commanding, he designed and had made a unique numbered B Company challenge coin, he then instituted a system of awarding these along with the officers commanding certificates of appreciation to high-performing company members. This is in addition to annual awards for the best performers in the subunit at each rank level. Members in the subunit can now earn the B Company coin for above-average performance in a range of circumstances. Although not an official defence or army award, this has been a good way for Major Jackson to be able to locally recognise and reward good performance within the company across a range of areas. Although other officers commanding need not copy this exact system, he urges anyone in the role to consider how they use non-monetary incentives for their subordinates, 
and to seek a way to be proactive in publicly recognising and rewarding good performance wherever possible. Use the military discipline system when it is appropriate to do so. Some Army Reserve officers seem to Major Jackson to be hesitant to use the military discipline system. There are a few possible reasons for this, although he notes that these are anecdotal. First, despite being taught how to use the military discipline system on promotion courses, there is often a time lag of years between when these courses are completed and when reservists are posted into command roles where they may need to employ the system. This leads to skill fade. Second, there seems to be a perception that using the military discipline system in the part-time context could act as a deterrent to soldiers parading in the future. In other words, using the discipline system might result in soldiers charged or infringed deciding not to parade again thereafter. To reiterate, these are his own anecdotal observations. Regardless of their accuracy or otherwise, there does seem to be a tendency to only take formal disciplinary measures in the part-time context when there has been a negligent or unauthorised discharge of a weapon, or when part-time personnel are serving on a continuous full-time service contract. One of the things Major Jackson did in the first year of his appointment was use the disciplinary system, the discipline officer and infringements component in particular. His use of this system was not excessive. Members of his subunit were infringed on four occasions in the year, and the outcome on two occasions was a reprimand. This was done as a cautionary measure to deter future instances of the same behaviour. In all four cases, he found that this deterrent worked for all members of the subunit, not just for the member who was infringed. Accordingly, Major Jackson recommends the use of the military discipline system in the part-time context and offers the following guidance for its use. First, review the military discipline law modules of your promotion courses when you do your handover, so that your knowledge is refreshed. Second, your company sergeant major, training warrant officer and the unit regimental sergeant major are not only trained in the discipline system, but are the subject matter experts within your unit. Seek their guidance and advice early and listen to it. Third, be clear with soldiers about expectations and ensure that the system is used evenly, consistently and fairly. The discipline officer system in particular is very useful in the part-time context, providing it is used correctly. The easiest way to gain and maintain respect is to be fit and to put in during physical training. There is a different fitness requirement when commanding a part-time infantry subunit than there is being on a headquarters staff. You don't need to be the fittest person in the subunit, but you do need to maintain a good level of fitness. A 21-year-old soldier may not yet understand what joint pain and old injuries are, and their empathy for these ailments is likely to be nil. They will be watching you during physical training and judging you. Being reasonably fit is therefore important, and enhancing his command effectiveness has become a major incentive for the personal physical training that Major Jackson does outside of Army parade times. Perhaps even more important is to ensure that he puts in to the best of his abilities during physical training sessions. This is also a basic component of leading from the front. Major Jackson has not been able to get to many of the physical training sessions that his soldiers have done due to the other demands of his appointment. 
For example, he frequently misses Tuesday night physical training sessions due to having to attend meetings. But he keeps fit in his own time, and he tries to get to physical training whenever he can, as it is a good opportunity to be visible to soldiers, to interact with them directly, and to earn their respect by stepping up to the same physical challenges as them. Being fit and putting in the best of one's abilities during physical training is a basic requirement for success as an officer commanding. Mentor whoever shows up and wants to listen, whenever you have time. In addition to the guidance one would expect an officer commanding to pass on to personnel within their own company, Major Jackson has also unofficially mentored half a dozen other personnel who found and connected with him in various ways. This situation did not come about by deliberate design. Instead, it happened by a series of accidents. And he's glad that it did, because it allowed him to pass his knowledge on and to assist junior personnel as best he could, and also to learn from people outside of his own corps and, in one case, service. Major Jackson recommends being open to the possibility of mentoring anyone who reaches out to you, providing you have the time to do so. Of course, not everyone wants to be mentored, and different mentees seek different levels of mentoring, including different frequency of contact and assistance or advice about different issues. Allow the mentee to set the type and frequency of contact you have, and seek to learn as well as to guide. This approach has worked for Major Jackson so far, and mentoring has been an unexpected yet rewarding part of his command experience. Make an Outlook folder and fill it with handy links. Send yourself an email with a link to any useful internet or intranet site or any objective reference that you may need to access regularly or find at short notice. Make a folder in your Outlook archive and save these emails in the folder. Clearly label the subject line and type as many related keywords as you can think of into the email text. When you need to find a link in a hurry, go into the folder and type a keyword into the search field. This simple practice has saved Major Jackson a huge amount of time because he doesn't have to navigate through objective and intranet every time he needs to find something. Saving links in this way, in addition to saving them in his Internet Explorer favourites and Objective Handy, has enabled him to find related objective, intranet and internet links in a single search of one location and to find things using related keywords, rather than needing to remember specific file or site names. Major Jackson regrets that he only started doing this in the second half of his first year of command, and he wishes that he had started sooner. Leadership requires a bespoke approach when working in small teams comprised of other leaders. Major Jackson most frequently interacts with his command team, the members of his subunit at the rank of sergeant and above. In addition to individual interactions, they meet in small groups on an as-required basis and weekly for a coordination conference prior to their Tuesday parade nights. At this level, and with a team of 10 people, leadership requires a different approach than it does when dealing with a larger team or presenting to a larger group. In the context of part-time parading in barracks, it also requires a different approach than leadership in the field. The best thing Major Jackson can do is to listen and to consider the context that applies to each individual team member. He tries to adapt his response to suit the member or members of the team that he is addressing. To give a simple example, 
The warrant officers and lieutenants in his company all require at certain times either his guidance or for him to make decisions. But each has a different expectation of how he will do so and of how he will communicate this with them. Major Jackson has found that personnel at all ranks like being listened to, but the warrant officers expect that thereafter he will make a timely decision, clearly and concisely communicate it, and allocate resources to support them. Usually they identify and request the resources they will need and recommend at least one course of action for him to consider. Lieutenants prefer it when he is more conversational, explain the rationale of his decisions in more detail, and they also tend to be less likely to ask for all of the resources they need, even if they do propose possible courses of action, so it is often useful to help them to identify these through a two-way conversation. Within each of these rank bands, each individual team member also has their own preferred approach too. Major Jackson also interacts regularly with his peers, the other majors in the unit, and empathy combined with a bespoke approach has also helped to build effective working relationships with them. His current unit includes two infantry subunits, a cavalry subunit and a combat engineers subunit. The non-infantry subunits have very different requirements, due mainly to the high number of platforms they rely upon to fulfil their roles. This results in them having a higher training requirement. It requires more courses to qualify a cavalry scout or a combat engineer than it does a rifleman, and they need to spend more time doing tasks such as maintenance. They also need to conduct detailed planning further in advance of activities to enable their increased logistics requirements to be met. The combat engineers cannot change a chainsawing training activity into a road-building activity at the 11th hour in the way Major Jackson can change a defensive-focused field training weekend into an offensive-focused one, for example. Even the other infantry subunit in his unit functions differently to his, as it is regional and dispersed, whereas Major Jackson's subunit is located in a single city. Developing an understanding of the different needs and perspectives of his peers has enabled Major Jackson to work much better with them. Accommodating their requirements as often as possible helps to both generate goodwill for occasions when he needs their assistance and to generate understanding on occasions when they are not able to support one another. Judging when to lead and when to follow is an important component of this. A strong, mutually supportive team at the officer commanding level also assists the commanding officer in the management of the unit, and proactively working with the other officers commanding in the unit is therefore an important part of his role. Empathy enables a bespoke leadership approach, which is the key to building good relationships with other leaders. Informal chats are one of the most underestimated command tools. Partway through his first year as officer commanding, a coffee shop opened on the base Major Jackson was posted to. Prior to this, he had never realised how many people work on the same base as him. This is because the base is almost exclusively host to Army Reserve units, and as a result, there tends to be only a small cadre staff at each unit during the business week. Yet all of these staffs combined number many more personnel than one would expect, and the new coffee shop tended to draw them out. As a result, bumping into people in the coffee shop has become a communication enabler between different units whose staff would usually only communicate via emails or phone calls. 
Even though work itself is not usually discussed at the coffee shop, the act of chatting informally over a brew or even just while waiting in line facilitates goodwill and builds informal connections and a professional network. This is something the army used to be very good at when mornos in messes was a daily occurrence. It is also something we seem to have lost in the last few decades as people have gotten busier and as mornos within messes seem to have progressively disappeared, presumably to save costs. In addition to having good coffee, the coffee shop has a significant advantage over mornos at a mess. All ranks can attend. In the Army Reserve, this is especially important as small regular Army cadre staff tend to be made up of people at all rank levels, but are very few within any particular rank level. Getting teams together in an all-ranks environment is therefore important. Different ranks have different jobs, and building a rapport over a brew with a private soldier is as useful to successful professional networking as is building rapport with brigade-level principal staff officers. Informal chats over a brew facilitate effective subsequent cooperation over formal work matters, and Major Jackson, therefore, recommends making time for these chats. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer until your enemies become your friends. Major Jackson was told during his handover that the year before he posted into his unit, some tensions had formed between battalion headquarters staff and subunit staff, and in one of the first conversations he had with his commanding officer, they made it clear that they did not want these tensions to continue within their unit. It seemed to Major Jackson that the cause of the problem was a lack of empathy between subunit and unit headquarters staffs. It was also evident that entrenched attitudes on both sides were not going to change easily. In this case, he saw being newly posted into the unit as an advantage because his own attitude could not yet be entrenched, and everyone realised this. From the start of his posting, Major Jackson deliberately took an approach that involved trying to develop an understanding of why battalion headquarters staff were interacting with the subunits in the way that they were, and of visibly completing all tasks they gave to his subunit to the best of their abilities, even on occasions when these tasks seemed unreasonable or when it was felt within his subunit that a task they were given was inappropriately allocated to them. Major Jackson had to get his own subunit command team on board to help him achieve this approach, which was not always easy. But the approach worked, and within about four months, battalion headquarters staff had started to appreciate that his subunit command team was making an effort to assist them. Once they noticed this changed approach, they became more open to discussing the situation and tensions. Having gotten to a point where they could openly discuss these together without being in a mutually antagonistic environment, Major Jackson's subunit staff and the battalion headquarters staff were able to develop and implement solutions that helped both parties. To paraphrase an old saying, by keeping your friends close and your enemies closer, these enemies eventually became their friends and together they created a better work environment. You need to look outwards more than anyone else in the subunit. You also need to look inwards, but as officer commanding, you have a staff to do this too. And their jobs are to manage different parts of the subunit on your behalf and within the framework of your guidance and direction. It is not their job to look outwards. That is what you're there for. 
once you have given enough guidance and resources to enable your subordinates to do their job, try to leave them alone to do it. This will have the benefit of freeing your time to look outwards, which frequently takes the form of attending meetings with personnel from unit headquarters, planning future subunit events, and getting support for these events from the myriad external stakeholders whose support you will need. Sometimes looking outwards will also take the form of fallout management or of giving your staff top cover when appropriate. The latter situation is usually followed by resolving an issue internally once the top cover has been given. Generally, Major Jackson has been able to identify these requirements only as a situation he could not have foreseen has emerged. As a result, it is difficult to proactively manage fallout. It is therefore vital to conduct a quick appraisal of the situation and to identify who you think needs to be informed about it, in addition to identifying what actions you need to take. As the old saying goes, bad news doesn't get better with time. Managing bad news appropriately is part of looking outwards. Whenever possible, consult before delegating. Major Jackson knows that he can't do everything himself, and he has a talented and committed command team supporting him. This is the first posting in his career, where he has such a broad range of options when it comes to delegating tasks to subordinates. However, in addition to their own military tasks and responsibilities, these subordinates also have their own civilian careers and families to manage. Sometimes it looks to Major Jackson like they are undertasked for a period, and therefore it would be appropriate for him to delegate certain tasks to them. However, when he discusses this with them, he sometimes discovers that they are in a busy period in their civilian work or personal life, and have deliberately managed their army workload so as to be less busy in army at this time. If he delegated to them in such a period, they face a choice between either interrupting other areas of their life or not getting the tasks that were delegated done in a timely manner. There is an easy and preemptive fix to this potential problem. Discuss tasks and requirements collaboratively with subordinates before delegating tasks to them. Ask how busy they are in all aspects of their lives, and base decisions to delegate on their answer, as well as your own needs and the nature of the task. Take photos and have group photos taken. You'll thank yourself later. Most people only get posted as an officer commanding once, and in the Army Reserve, you often only get to do certain posting-related activities once or a few times. Even if you do complete the same activity multiple times, it is almost certain that the composition of the team will change for every iteration of the activity, due to the nature of part-time parading in the Army Reserve. One day, when it is over, you will miss it. A photograph, group photos in particular, captures the moment for posterity and will become more valuable to you over time. For example, it is now eight years since Major Jackson deployed to Timor-Leste as a platoon commander. The platoon photos he has from that deployment, which at the time were just an extra set of photos in a folder on a drive, are now fond reminders of one of the highlights of his career. He expects the same feeling of nostalgia will apply to his time as officer commanding, so he ensures that group photos are taken of subunit members who attend activities such as field training exercises and ceremonial parades. 
already, Major Jackson is finding that these pictures are becoming the embodiment of his nostalgia. His advice to anyone who may be appointed officer commanding themselves is therefore to ensure that photos are taken of your subunit activities. Get these photos cleared by public affairs too. Not only is publication of these photos a good way to enhance Army's positive presence on social media, but it also means that you can keep copies of the photos on unclassified devices without any potential security or other issues. What we're here for. Command in the field. Revise subunit and combined arms tactics before attending field training exercises. Major Jackson completed the combat officer's advanced course in 2015. Between then and when he commenced his appointment as a subunit commander, there was a three-year period during which he had two postings. Neither of these postings required him to exercise subunit tactics. As a part-time officer commanding, there has been a minimum three months between each subunit-level field training exercise that he has attended, though this gap is usually more than six months. As a result, Major Jackson's knowledge of subunit and combined arms tactics has atrophied several times, and he has identified a need to refresh himself before attending each field training exercise. This can be done by rereading the relevant doctrine. Land Warfare Doctrine 303 Formation Tactics is a good starting point, as well as any relevant standard operating procedures and tactics techniques procedures. Quick decision exercises can also help you refresh, though these are only beneficial if there is time to discuss your solution with somebody else who can identify shortfalls and offer guidance on how to improve. Pre-H-Hour planning will set you up for success post-H-Hour. Major Jackson travelled to the first major field training activity he attended as an officer commanding with the advance party from his home unit. Once in the exercise area, the extra two days he had taken off from his civilian job enabled him to read into the problem and develop a detailed initial plan. This set him up for success once the exercise commenced and his planning times became greatly compressed. The lesson he learned from this is that pre-H-hour planning sets the conditions for success post-H-hour as it generates good situational understanding. This is useful even when the plan needs to be changed completely in light of unfolding circumstances. The best way to make time for this pre-H-hour planning is to be on the exercise advance party. Since his first field training exercise, when he found this out by accident, he has tried wherever possible to get himself on the advance party for other field training exercises. Good time planning is vital. At one extreme, Major Jackson had 45 minutes to develop a course of action for moving an entire combat team into a new area of operations. At the other extreme, he had almost two days to plan a combat team handover, then route clearance. As the saying goes, any task will take whatever time is available to do it. Developing a planning timeline as well as an operational timeline was vital to enabling him to have a scheme of manoeuvre ready by whatever deadline he had to meet. He would not have been able to complete a combat team level combat military appreciation process in 45 minutes if he hadn't started by figuring out how long he had to complete each component. Correct use of military terminology is a key indicator of professionalism. 
Being in the military for only part of the time, it is easy to unthinkingly use an ad hoc blend of military terms and other terms that are prevalent in one's civilian endeavours. Major Jackson noticed this tendency the first time that his part-time subunit was attached to a regular army unit. He subsequently noticed that when he correctly used military terminology, while omitting civilian terminology that referred to the same things, this seemed to generate a disproportionately positive effect on how professional he was perceived as being. In other words, correct use of military terminology was perceived by his regular army counterparts as a key indicator of his professionalism. Adherence to timings was another key indicator, and this had the same disproportionate effect on perception management. This reinforces Major Jackson's previous observation that good time planning is vital. Correct use of military terminology, particularly when describing tactical situations and tasks, and adhering to timings are both easy ways to demonstrate one's professionalism. Mission command can be as easy as remembering to plan two down, task one down. For any platoon commanders who may be hearing this, when you are given your specified tasks and attachments, ask why you have them. For example, if you were tasked to conduct a community engagement patrol in a small town and you have a civil military liaison team and a combat engineer reconnaissance team attached, why do you suppose this is? If you were tasked to establish a defensive position for a ground-based air defence asset and you have a joint fire team attached, what might your commander's thought process have been when they attach this to you? Odds are that this has happened because the officer commanding has thought about not only what they want you to do, but also about how they would do it themselves if they were commanding your platoon. And they have tried to maximise your chances for success within the framework of their own broader plan, while still allowing you the flexibility to develop and execute your own plan in your way. The same happens from battle group to combat team level, and figuring out why the commanding officer had allocated various attachments to his combat team and what they might be expecting Major Jackson to do with them greatly contributed to his identification of various implied tasks, required coordination measures, and ensuring that he was able to achieve his commander's intent and prioritise their main effort. This type of consideration worked very well for Major Jackson, both in determining his own implied tasks and in being able to exercise mission command when tasking his own subordinates. Regarding being appointed as Officer Conducting the Exercise, Director of Practice. This can be a stressful appointment, because there are a lot of little things that need to be perfect. Running a range and making sure it is done safely requires a high level of attention to detail. Being officer conducting the exercise, director of practice, means doing this for multiple ranges, which may be operating concurrently. Success in these activities requires a balance between personally ensuring the one percenters concerning safety are in place and executed correctly, and stepping back to let the officers in charge of individual range practices do their jobs without obstructing or micromanaging them. Major Jackson found he could achieve this balance by doing two things. The first was conducting thorough pre-commencement of practice checks for each range. This included personally confirming that all the paperwork had been completed correctly, that the correct items were in the range trunks, 
visually confirming that all required safety equipment was at each range, and receiving detailed back briefs from, then quizzing, the officer in charge of each practice to confirm that they were competent in their own appointments and knowledge. Major Jackson could then take a hands-off approach during the practices themselves, maintaining radio communications with each range from a centralised command post without needing to physically be at each range at these times. The second thing was surrounding himself with good staff. Major Jackson ensures that the officers in charge of practice that are working for him are good operators, preferably people that he has worked with before during blank firing field training activities. Personnel who are qualified to be officers in charge should be appointed as safety supervisors instead if they are not yet at the experience or confidence level to be an officer in charge. In any Army Reserve unit, organising who will fill range staff appointments several months in advance is essential, as most people can more easily secure time off from their civilian work if they have a lot of advanced warning. Select who you want to be officers in charge of range practices and get them to commit to the activity early. Even more importantly, Major Jackson ensured that he had some great warrant officers in his command post who had been safety supervisors or officers in charge during more range practices than he will probably ever see. This is one of the best uses for regular Army cadre staff that he has seen in the Army Reserve. Run everything past these warrant officers, especially matters concerning safety, and listen to their advice. Two or three heads together think better than one head alone, and they bring a huge amount of relevant experience to the conversation. Signalers and signals qualified personnel are a critical vulnerability. When planning field training activities, Major Jackson has found that signalers are always in short supply. Although his unit is taking measures to address this shortage, the outcome of these measures will be mid-term, due to the time it takes for part-time personnel to complete all of the required training courses. Until then, the number of available signalers is a critical vulnerability that needs to be proactively addressed when planning for field training activities in his unit. Major Jackson is not sure if this is the case elsewhere, but this situation nevertheless yields a general observation. Identify as early in your planning as possible what critical vulnerabilities might affect your activities. Once these have been identified, take appropriate measures to ensure these vulnerabilities are adequately mitigated. Conclusion Major Jackson hopes that the observations will help to prepare future Australian Army Reserve subunit commanders through learning from his successes and failures, and to better set them up for success in their own appointments. To that end, he concludes this article by offering a final observation. Find time to reflect and to consciously learn as you go. This article is the outcome of self-reflection that Major Jackson made time for, despite always being busy. Between our army service, our civilian careers and our personal lives, army reservists are always time poor. Yet finding time to reflect and learn is nevertheless vital. Last year, he jotted down observations from time to time as dot points in the back of his notebook. Earlier in January this year, as his first year in command came to a close, he found a few hours to reconsider these observations and to type a refined list in a Word document. This list became most of the paragraph headings that appear in this article. 
It took Major Jackson the first seven months of this year to finish the rest of the article by adding the paragraph content as well as a few additional observations that he made during this period. He did this mostly in short spurts while travelling for civilian work. This ad hoc commitment of several very short periods of time has been sufficient for him to reflect on what he has learned so far during his subunit command and to consider how he can implement these lessons going forward. The final piece of advice Major Jackson offers in this article is, therefore, to make time to critically reflect, even if it is only opportunistically and for very short periods. The results are worthwhile. Thanks for listening to this audio article by The Cove. Don't forget to download The Cove app. It's professional military education in your pocket.